for those of you who are newer visiting tonight, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy uh, this year. Uh, Deuteronomy records Moses' final words to the people of Israel just before they enter into the promised land. Uh, Moses is really telling Israel what it looks like uh, to live as God's people in God's place. Um, Well, as we come to God's word tonight, uh, let me begin by praying. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for what we've just seen uh, in uh, your sign of baptism given to Albert. Uh, Father, thank you for the reminder of uh, the good news of Jesus that baptism is. Our Father, I pray that you would help us now listen as your word is preached and the good news of Jesus is made clear here. Help me as I do that to be clear in what I teach, to be faithful in what I teach. And I pray that you would give us all hearts to receive your word by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you would like to use my outline that I've provided in the news sheet, by all means do that. Um, I always find that that's helpful, but it's actually most helpful to have an open Bible um, with you as uh, we go through the text. I'll throw up some other pictures and other Bible uh, cross-references on the screen, but if you can have your own Bibles open with the text, that's probably going to be most helpful. Well, justice is one of those things uh, that the human heart in every time and culture, I think, just yearns for. Uh, From our earliest days, we want justice. We want things to be fair and right. Uh, You just have to come over to my place, uh, where we live, between about 4 and 5 p.m. when the kids are extra tired, and you'll hear cries of injustice. She dropped that book on my foot on purpose. She stole the Barbie off me, but I was playing with it first. Not fair. I have already done my jobs. She's telling lies. Do something about it. And you see, we don't grow out of our longing for justice, do we? No, the longing, I think, just gets greater and greater as we grow older and older. I see, we long for justice when someone cuts us off on the way to church. We long for justice when we find out someone has lied about us at work. We long for justice when some kid graffitis our new fence. We long for justice in those moments of unspeakable tragedy where what we love most has been taken from us. Uh, Like the story I read yesterday of Eddie and Lottie Robinson, whose adopted son, Kumanjai, was shot and killed while in police custody. And the article started with the words that are on the screen there. We want that justice to cleanse our heart. Well, in Deuteronomy 19, God is telling Israel how to cleanse their community, their land of evil, through a commitment to justice in the face of wrongdoing. See, listen to God's words in verse 19 of this passage. You must purge the evil from among you. And I think Moses is highlighting three specific instances in Israel which calls for them to act justly and purge that evil. 
Uh, firstly, he calls for justice when blood is shed, when property is threatened, and when accusations are false and malicious. Uh, each of these matters represents complex, messy, emotional, and downright evil moments that call for a wise application of justice. So we'll look at all three of those uh, matters, and we'll consider the principles that lie behind them, and then we'll think about how we apply all this as followers of Jesus. So first, what is the just response when blood is shed? How must Israel respond when a member of the community kills another person? Now, what's interesting about that question and God's answer to that question is that it doesn't start with the act itself, but the intention behind the act. Did this person kill someone by accident or on purpose? So the first principle we see right at the start of this passage is that motive matters. You see, if the person has killed a fellow Israelite by accident, justice requires that person not be punished, but protected. You see, the risk of an unjust retaliation was real in that context and that culture. So Israel must uh, act to ensure that more innocent blood is not spilt. Uh, Israel is told to designate three of its cities in the promised land as places of refuge, uh, cities to which a person may run to and find protection from an angry relative who wished to take their life in revenge. Uh, we're told in Numbers 35 uh, that the person is to stay in the city until the death of the high priest, uh, but could then return to his property in safety. The uh, aggrieved relative must not touch him. And in verse 3, we see that these cities are to be evenly distributed throughout the land of Israel. So the refuge was always close at hand when needed. This map shows where they ended up being located according to Joshua chapter 20. On the right-hand side, east of the Jordan, are the three cities of refuge that Moses had already established in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, but notice how they are actually spread out quite evenly throughout the land. Uh, justice demands that innocents are protected. Look at verse 4. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally, without malice aforethought. So how might someone find themselves in the tragic position of needing to run to one of these cities of refuge. Well, Moses uh, walks us through an example in verses 5 to 6, doesn't he? Uh, it's like he's saying this. Um, I want you to imagine that two mates go out into the forest uh, to chop wood, to cut down some big trees. Uh, there they are working hard together to knock down these huge trees. Uh, but as one of these guys swings his axe up, for the next chop, the axe of the head flies off and whacks the other bloke fair between the eyes and he falls down dead. Now just imagine the response of that guy's family. You see, they don't know all the facts at this point and actually maybe they don't really want to know all the facts right now. They're shocked, they're grieving, they're angry, they want payback. And so they send out one of their own to avenge the blood 
of their beloved family member. Uh, if this accidental killer cannot find protection, he himself is likely to be dead in a matter of hours. Chased down and murdered, and now two innocent lives are lost and two families are at war. Moses is saying, Israel, what you must do is make sure this man's life is protected so that he can live to stand trial and be proved innocent in front of the community. See, look at verse 6. This man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. Uh, when we were kids growing up in Bort, uh, we played a lot of Tiggy, or Tag as it's sometimes known in other circles. Um, but the whole idea of uh, Tiggy is the person who is it chases down someone else and they become it, and then they chase down someone else and they become it, and so on. Uh, but whenever we played Tiggy, there was always something called barley. Did anyone else have barley? Yep, good. Okay, now barley could be anything. A clothesline, a shed, a trampoline in the backyard. Uh, if you touched what had been designated as barley, you were safe from the pursuer. You couldn't be caught, you couldn't become it. Uh, you could catch your breath and you could think through your next manoeuvre. Well, in this passage, it's kind of like God is telling Israel to establish three barleys in the land. Locations for those who kill by accident that couldn't be touched by their pursuer. Because they don't deserve to die. Justice demands they be protected. Verse 10, do this so that innocent blood will be not shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you, do, so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. Justice means that Israel is to protect the one who kills by accident. But actually, justice also means that Israel is to punish, to punish the one who kills on purpose. Now, I think most of us recognize that intent makes all the difference. Uh, you see, you can put up with someone accidentally bumping into you on the train and perhaps even knocking you over, but you'll call the cops on the person who deliberately hip and, hip and shoulders you on the train. For the Israelite who kills a neighbour on purpose, justice demands that that person be severely punished. In fact, justice demands in verse 8, that that person be put to death. Uh, See, so look at in verse 11, sorry, look at verse 11. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, that killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and handed over to the avenger of blood to die. See, there's no barley for this person. Now, I suspect that many of us might kind of recoil when we hear this. 
Many of us actually think about the idea of capital punishment as very harsh. Uh, the last time someone was legally executed in Australia was in 1967. Ronald Ryan was hanged for the crime of shooting a prison guard dead in an attempted escape. Uh, now, I'm not here tonight to persuade you one way or the other on capital punishment, but I do think we need to see the underlying principle at play here, that sin must be dealt with one way or the other, so that society recognises the unique value of human life See, God created us in his image, and to deliberately take innocent life is absolutely odious to God. And you see, that's why we should actually be careful not to, to glorify murder and indulge the concept of it in our minds. We need to be careful if we think the, the movies we watch or the video games we play actually feed that. And that's why... Actually, abortion should trouble us deeply, the innocent life being snuffed out. Uh, that's why uh, Christians often do have some hesitation with capital punishment, because of the risk it might be abused or misused and an innocent person be put to death. But notice that even before a murderous act has taken place, the sin of hatred has already taken over this person. See, and actually this reminds us that, that our sin is never just against another person, but actually always against God as well. For God says in Leviticus 19 that you should not hate your neighbour. Instead, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. See, murder is odious to God, but so is the hatred that lies at the heart of it. So when someone kills on purpose with malice in their heart, justice demands that they be severely punished. Israel was to hand that person over to death. There wasn't to be any special treatment. Uh, no rich and powerful relative um, was allowed to come and pull the strings to let them off the hook. Justice must be served and guilt purged from the land so that Israel would not come under God's judgment, but enjoy his blessing. See, look at verse 13 in your Bibles. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood, so that it may go well with you. See, what will it look like when, just, when blood has been... What will justice look like when blood has been shed? Protection for the one who kills by accident... Punishment for the one who kills on purpose. But second, Israel is to act justly when property is threatened by greed. Uh, now, I suspect most of us have an innate sense of injustice when someone encroaches onto our space. Uh, for example, if someone builds a fence line five inches over our property border, we feel that injustice. And I think we see this injustice expressed um, most wonderfully in the classic Aussie movie, The Castle. Uh, this movie tells the story of Daryl Kerrigan's attempt to save his property from being forcibly acquired by the neighbouring airport under compulsory acquisition laws. 
See, he was at risk of losing the house he loved. And there's this great moment when Daryl Kerrigan's lawyer is trying in his kind of own terrible way to express just how unjust this whole thing is. This is what Dennis DeNudo says. It's the vibe of it. It's the, the Constitution. It's Marbo. It's justice. It's law. It's the vibe. And uh, now that's it. It's the vibe. I rest my case. It's my favorite scene in the movie. See, most of us have the vibe in our hearts that it's wrong to take another person's property in an unjust way. And God's word confirms that vibe. Uh, This was particularly true in the land that God was giving to Israel. See, it was first and foremost God's land. He was ruler over it. And in his grace, he had given it to Israel and all of Israel to enjoy. You see this throughout the chapter. Verse 2, the land that your God is giving you to possess. Verse 10, the land which your God is giving you. Each tribe was allotted a certain area. Each clan within that tribe was allotted a certain area. Each family within that clan was then given their own fields. Uh, Israel did not receive the land because of their own power and smarts, but only through God's grace. To take another person's property was an act of theft against that person, yes, but ultimately against the giver of that property, God. And so we see in verse 14, Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you receive in the land that Lord your God has given you to possess. Justice demands that you do not take another person's property. Don't push the boundaries. And in 1 Kings 21, we actually see the horror of this commandment being ignored. Uh, King Ahab goes and asks a man called Naboth to sell him his property, which bordered the palace. Why? Well, because King Ahab wanted to grow veggies there. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. You see, Naboth knew the principle of Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. And so what does Ahab do when, when his offer is rejected? Well, he, we read that he goes home to his palace, whimpering all the way. His evil wife then tells him to, uh, to organize two dodgy characters to make false accusations about Naboth. And before you know it, Naboth is being unjustly stoned to death for a crime he didn't commit, and Ahab starts planning out his veggie patch. You see, this is what it looks like when Deuteronomy 19 is ignored, when justice is ignored, when murder, theft, and false witness all go unanswered. See, what will justice look like when property is threatened in the land? Respect people's inheritance and don't push the boundaries. Well, third, Israel is to act justly when accusations of wrongdoing are false and malicious. 
They are not to let falsehood triumph over truth. God detests lying. And in the case of legal accusations, particularly, let's say, something as serious as murder, or someone's life and family could be devastated by a malicious witness. And so Moses tells Israel that justice demands more than one witness to convict a person accused of a crime, verse 15. In fact, two or three are required for a conviction. Uh, But justice also, also demands that false witnesses don't get the chance to pervert justice through malicious testimony. So you look at your Bibles in verse 16. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse someone of a crime, the two people involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who were in office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation. Uh, Sometimes accusations are complicated, messy, heavily disputed. And sometimes there will be people out to harm others through lying. Therefore, Israel's judges actually need to roll up their sleeves and get busy with investigation. They need to interview people, look at past history, search for nefarious motives. If we want justice and truth to prevail, serious investigation needs to be happening. Things can't be rushed. Uh, but what, are, what if, after all that investigation, a malicious witness is discovered? Someone's busted. Well, justice demands that their punishment match their crime. What they sought to do to their brother should be done to them. See that in verse 19. No more, no less. Then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, again... I suspect many of us recoil at these words. Uh, They appear so harsh and vengeful. But understood in its context, actually the opposite is true. You see, this was a context where reprisals could be extreme and deadly. Uh, Say, for example, I got into a bit of an altercation with Andrew Wirt, our youth pastor here, and in the process, I blinded one of his eyes. Well, in a rage, Andrew decides to cut off my head in retaliation. Then, in a rage, my brother Nick comes down from Sydney to avenge my death and decides to knock off both Andrew and his brother Phil as punishment. Well, from this point on, you simply have a bit of blood feud between two families that goes on and on and on, always getting more extreme. You see, this law actually worked to restrict and limit our base instincts and desire to overreact. And notice that the punishment is not being personally dispensed, but administered through the courts of Israel. See that in verse 18? It's the judges 
who are administering justice here. You see, this is civil justice, not personal vengeance. But by Jesus' time, uh, centuries later, it appears that, that people in Jesus' time had viewed this law in terms of personal vengeance and not civil justice. So when we see Jesus speaking about this law in the Sermon, of the Mount, on, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and he famously asks his disciples to turn the other cheek when assaulted, uh, it's important to understand what Jesus is actually pushing back against there. You see, Jesus is not dismissing the principle that justice should be administered through appropriate courts in the land. Uh, that would be to deny something good to society and to reinforce to a person that their sin is actually okay. Uh, what Jesus is saying, I think, in Matthew 5 is that his disciples must not be marked by personal vengeance but by a desire to do good to their enemies. Uh, let me just explain all this with a personal example. Uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, assaulted at Kingsbury Mackers. Actually, Josh, the dad of Albert, was there with me at the time. Um, you can ask him about it later. Uh, we didn't really need to turn the other cheek because they were already getting whacked. Um, but following this incident, uh, I kind of thought that the principle of turn the other cheek meant that I had to kind of let the whole thing slide. Uh, but what would I say to myself now if I could go back in time 13 years ago? Well, I'd say, Chris, uh, there are two ways you can do good following this event. First, remember Matthew 5 and Jesus' words, and do good to these boys who did this by not following your base instinct for personal revenge. So don't go and gather a few mates, find out their details, drive to the house, pull them out of their house and beat them up on the front yard because that's kind of what they did to you. But don't you go and do that. See, that is personal vengeance, which Jesus says is wrong. But second, remember Deuteronomy 19 and do good to both society and to these boys by allowing justice to happen in the appropriate context through the police and the courts. See, this will show the boys and others in the community which we see come out in verse 20, that sin is wrong and actually must be held to account. Civil justice, not personal vengeance. Now, I think in the end I actually did go to the police, but from memory, it was only because my pastor told me I had to. Uh, so zooming out from this passage for a moment, what does God want from Israel? Well, he wants justice. Justice when blood is shed, justice when property is threatened, justice when false accusations are made. Well, how did Israel go at upholding justice in the land that God had given to them? Uh, did they purge it as they were supposed to and cleanse themselves of the guilt of injustice? Uh, well, if we survey Israel's history, what grade should they receive? Oh, well, based on what we read of their history in the rest of the Old Testament, they would probably receive an F for fail. 
See, prophet after prophet is sent to Israel by God, calling them out for their failure to act justly in society. They are condemned as sinners who let injustice reign. See, just look at how the prophet Micah sums up their attitude to justice. Micah 2 verse 2, They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Micah 3 9, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bride, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. See, God wanted justice from Israel, but all he gets is corruption, bloodshed, greed, lies, misery. Israel showed themselves not to be the just people God called for, but a people willing to turn a blind eye to injustice. But the problem for Israel was that God, who they claimed to worship, never turns a blind eye to injustice and always brings justice on that which is wrong. And so in God's justice, Israel is judged. They are punished, exiled out of the good land God had given to her. And see, actually, that's the message we need to let sink into our lives as we think about this topic of God's justice. See, God doesn't turn a blind eye to any sin, but fully intends to bring it to account. Now, at one level, I think that we can be happy knowing that God is just. We wouldn't want him to be unjust, would we? See, it would be horrible to think that God was okay letting evil kind of go through to the keeper. It's actually right that he deals with murder. I think we know it's right that he deals with that and with adultery and with theft and lying. But if he's going to be truly just, well, he's got to deal with what we often think are the small ones too, right? I mean, gossiping, failing to keep our word, lusting, all these things God says is wrong too. But actually, whether we think our sins are are big or small, God sees them all as serious. Because whenever we sin, it actually reveals a heart that says, uh, in effect, I can live my way, God, not your way. I can do as I please on my terms, not your terms. If I, if I want to gossip now, I can, because I'm living on my terms. See, Israel's history reminds us of our inability to fully keep God's law and be right, the righteous people he wants us to be. Israel's history reminds us that as sinners, we are in trouble with a just God. We're told in the New Testament that the wages of our sin deserve death. So that's kind of the bad news for us. But the good news of Jesus, the reason we're here and following him as Christians, well, the good news is that the gospel shows us that God is committed to delivering justice for our sin but at the same time providing a refuge of safety for the sinner. 
You see, through faith in Jesus, actually we don't experience the wrath of God's justice. Jesus does at the cross. At the cross, Jesus is paying for our sin, paying for our wrongdoing. As people who trust in him, we now stand forgiven and made right with God. As Paul says in Romans 3, uh, God presented Christ. No, I didn't put that one in. Uh, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in him. It's at the cross where justice is delivered, but refuge provided. Our sins are judged, our souls are saved. See, in ancient Israel, in the time of Deuteronomy, uh, you could enter into the gate of a city of refuge and in theory be kept safe. But as we know, that sense of security was only as good as the people upholding it. But in Jesus, you can be confident that you are kept eternally safe. He won't fail you. His death saves you. And he will one day bring you into a greater promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, where injustice and sin will have been completely purged forever. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, uh, please know that this offer of eternal safety from the punishment of your sins is on offer to you tonight through faith in Jesus. And if that's something you would like, we'd love to talk about that with you further beyond the surface. I'm happy to talk. Uh, but if you're already a Christian, how can you live a life that reflects gratitude to what Jesus has done for you? Uh, well, one big way to show thanks to God, I think, is to listen to Deuteronomy 19 and to be a people who are committed to justice. Uh, as people who have known, who have God's spirit in us, bit by bit we can actually be the just people God wants us to be. So what will this look like? Well, just let me suggest three things we can do as we close briefly. Firstly, I think our passage tonight reminds us that uh, that a society marked by justice is a good thing. Uh, the church is not a nation state like Israel. Uh, we live as Christians under the rule of Australia's government. Uh, any crimes we commit are punished by the state. Uh, but in Romans 13, Paul tells us that God establishes governments for our good to bring justice. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. See, it's easy for us to complain about our politicians uh, when, uh, and, uh, and what they're not doing. It's easy for us to get discouraged when we read in the paper of a court ruling that just seems so wrong. What must we do? Well, it's not to simply complain and get discouraged, but pray for them. And Paul tells us that in Timothy 1, uh, chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
Uh, our politicians have to make laws that they know will have numerous different effects on people's lives. And the courts are often faced with complex and sometimes very heinous crimes that we never have to see with, see or deal with. So pray for just legislation, uh, pray that just legislation would be passed and just rulings given. Pray that innocent people are not unfairly punished. Pray that guilty people are. Pray that the punishment is proportional, no overreaction, no underreaction. And give thanks to God when justice does happen. Uh, there may be times when you need to write to a local member or even peacefully protest legislation that is clearly unjust. But make it a regular habit to pray for justice in the civil authorities. Uh, but second, uh, just like society, uh, authorities that are given for our good uh, are present in the church. The church has elders and pastors who we are told are given for our good. Uh, God's word tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 17, that our leaders watch over you uh, as those who must give an account. See, as pastors and elders, we won't just be giving an account for our teaching, but also for our pastoring. Uh, as, and part of our pastoring is to make sure that we are handling issues that come to our attention in a way that is just and seeks the good of the people involved in the church as a whole. We will actually have to give an account to Jesus for this. And I can tell you honestly that I feel the weight of that responsibility. Uh, but the challenge I find is that things are not always clear-cut. More often, these issues are complex, messy, filled with emotions, and at times, conflicting information. So we need your prayers to help us act justly and do what is right. But lastly, pray for yourselves. Pray that you might reflect God's justice in the areas of life that he has given you influence. Uh, so some of you are parents or about to be. You might have to fix that one, boys. Um, uh, be just in the way that you raise your children. Uh, teach them uh, that it is wrong to hate others, to covet people's possessions, or to lie. And where they do something that is wrong, don't overreact, don't underreact, but deal justly with what has happened. Uh, this is right and good for them and others who live in the house. And where you fail to uphold justice in your house, in the family, rest in God's grace and go and apologize to your child. Now, every time I've done this, it has been a fruitful experience. It humbles me and shows them that I take justice seriously. Uh, some of you live with housemates, though. Be just in the way you treat each other. Don't covet another person's belongings. Don't lie to each other. Where problems arise, make sure you carefully investigate the matter and establish what motives have been at play. Uh, don't blow up when something happens by accident. Get to the truth so that you know what the just next step is. Uh, some of you run teams uh, in your workplace. Some of you lead 
uh, in Sunday school and kids club, youth group, will show a commitment to justice in those contexts too. Don't let sin and destructive behaviour go unchecked. Uh, if you need to familiarise yourself with particular behavioural policies so that you know what is uh, unacceptable and how to deal with it, well, make sure you're across that information. And actually, in all of this, let's together remember that we are Jesus' people. We know the glory of having our sin dealt with and our soul saved through Jesus' death and resurrection. Let us, therefore, reflect God's attitude towards us and be a people not marked by vengeance that wants to destroy, but a people committed to justice that does good to our community. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the reminder in your word tonight to live just lives. Uh, Father, you know our hearts, Lord. You know how prone we are to sin and to living unjustly. And so we pray that your spirit would help us in this task, Lord, that your spirit would help us live the just life you want us to live. We thank you that in your great mercy, uh, you sent Jesus to justly deal with our sin and at the same time provide refuge for our soul. We thank you so much for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.